Chapter Six, Part Two of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Malbach. Chapter Six: The Trial, Part Two. Guards! Cried President de Larange with a loud voice bring in the accused the countess de lamont volet all eyes directed themselves to the door which the guards now opened and through which the accused was to enter upon the threshold of this door appeared now a lady of slim graceful form in a toilette of the greatest elegance her head decorated with feathers flowers and lace her cheeks highly painted and her fine ruby lips encircled by a pert and at the same time a mocking smile which displayed two rows of the finest teeth. With this smile upon her lips, she moved forward with a light and spirited step, turning her great blazing black eyes with proud, inquisitive looks now to the stern semicircle of judges and now to the tribune, whose occupants had not been able to suppress a movement of indignation and a subdued hiss. Gentlemen, said she with a clear, distinct voice, in which not the faintest quiver, not the least excitement was apparent gentlemen are we here in a theatre where the players who tread the boards are received with audible signs of approval or of disfavour the president to whom her dark eyes were directed deigned to give no answer but turned with an expressive gesture to the officer who stood behind the accused he understood this sign and brought from the corner of the hall a wooden seat of rough clumsy form to whose high back of unpolished dirty wood two short iron chains were attached this seat he placed near the handsome gaudily dressed countess with her air of assurance and self-confidence and pointed to it with a commanding gesture be seated he said with a loud lordly tour she shrugged her shoulders and looked at the offered seat with an expression of indignation how she cried who dares offer me the chair of criminals to sit in be seated replied the officer the seat of the accused is ready for you and the chains upon it are for those who are not inclined to take it a cry of anger escaped from her lips and her eyes flashed an annihilating glance upon the venturesome officer but he did not appear to be in the least affected by the lightning from her eyes that met it with perfect tranquillity if you do not take it of yourself madame he said i shall be compelled to summon the police we shall then compel you to take the seat and in order to prevent your rising the chains will be bound around your arms the countess answered only with an exclamation of anger and fixing her inquiring looks upon the judges the accusers the defenders and then again upon the spectators everywhere she encountered only a threatening mien and suspicious looks nowhere an expression of sympathy but it was just this which seemed to give her courage and to steal her strength she raised her head proudly forced the smile again upon her lips and took her seat upon the chair with a grace and dignity as if she were in a brilliant saloon and was taking her seat upon an elegant sofa the president of the court now turned his grave rigid face to the countess and asked who are you madame what is your name and how old are you the countess gave way to a loud melodious laugh 
"'My Lord President,' answered she, "'it is very clear that you are not much accustomed to deal with ladies, "'or else you would not take the liberty of asking a lady, "'like myself in her prime, after her age. "'I will pardon you this breach of etiquette, "'and I will magnanimously pretend not to have heard that question "'in order to answer the others. "'You wish to know my name? "'I am the Countess Le Montvolet of France.' the latest descendant of the former kings of france and if in this unhappy land which is trodden to the dust by a stupid king and his dissolute queen right and justice still prevailed i should sit on the throne of france and the coquette who now occupies it would be sitting here in this criminal's chair to justify herself for the theft which she has committed for it is marie antoinette who possesses the diamonds of the jeweller beaumere not i at the spectator's tribune a gentle bravo was heard at these words, and this daring calumny upon the queen found no reproval even from the judge's bench. "'Madame,' said Lorraine, after a short pause, "'instead of simply answering my questions, you reply with a high-sounding speech, which contains an untruth, for it is not true that you can lay any claim to the throne of France. The descendants of bastards have claims neither to the name nor the rank of their fathers.' since in respect to your name and rank you have answered with an untruth i will tell you who and what you are your father was a poor peasant in the village of Auteuil. he called himself Wollet, and the clergyman of the village one day told the wife of the proprietor of Wollet, madame de bourlemaire that the peasant of Wollet was in possession of family papers according to which it was unquestionable that he was an illegitimate descendant of the old royal family the good priest at the same time recommend the poor hungry children of the day labor volet to the kindness of madame de volumere and the old lady hastened to comply with this recommendation she had the daughter of volet called to her to ask her how she could assist her in her misery say rather to gain for herself the credit that she had shown kindnesses to the descendants of the kings of france interrupted the countess quickly this would have been a sorry credit replied president Lorraine. the vorle family had for a long time been extinct and the last man of that name who was known was detected in counterfeiting sentenced and executed your grandfather was an illegitimate son of the counterfeiter vorle that is the sum total of your relation to the royal family of france it is possible that upon this very chair on which you now sit accused of this act of deception your natural great-grandfather once sat accused like you of an act of deception in order after conviction of his crime to be punished according to the laws of france the countess made a motion as if she wanted to rise from the unfortunate seat but instantly the heavy hand of the officer was laid upon her shoulder and his threatening voice said sit still or i put on the chains the countess le montvolet of france sank back with a loud sob upon the chair and for the first time a death-like paleness diffused itself over her hitherto rosy cheeks so madame de boulevard had the children of the day laborer boulet called continued the president with his imperturbable self-possession the oldest daughter a girl of twelve years 
pleased her in consequence of her lively nature and her attractive exterior she took her to herself she gave her an excellent education she was resolved to provide for her whole future when one day the young volet disappeared from the chateau of madame de volvert she had eloped with the sub-lieutenant count lamont and announced to her benefactress in a letter which she left behind that she was escaping from the slavery in which she had hitherto lived and that she left her curse to those who wanted to hinder her marrying the man of her choice but in order to accomplish her marriage she confessed that she had found it necessary to rob the casket of madame de boulanger and that out of this money she should defray her expenses it was a sum of twenty thousand francs which the fugitive had robbed from her benefactress i take the liberty of remarking to you mr president that you are there making use of a totally false expression interrupted the countess it cannot be said that i robbed this sum it was the dowry which madame de boulanger had promised to give me in case of my marriage and i only took what was my own as i was upon the point of marrying madame de boulanger herself justified me in taking the sum for she never asked me to return it or filed an accusation against me because she wanted to prevent the matter becoming town talk remarked the president quietly madame de boulanger held her peace and relinquished punishment to the righteous judge who lives above the stars and who surely has not descended from the stars to assume the president's chair of this court <laughs> cried lamont with a mocking laugh president laurent without heeding the interruption continued the daughter of the laborer volet married the sub-lieutenant lamont who lived in a little garrison city of the province and sought to increase his meagre salary by many ingenious devices he not merely gave instruction in fencing and writing but he was also a very skilful card-player so skilful that fortune almost always accompanied him my lord cried the countess springing up you seem to want to hint that count de mont played a false game you surely would not venture to say this if the count were free for he would challenge you for this insult and it is well known that his stroke is fatal to those who stand in the way of his dagger i hint at nothing and i merely call things by their right names replied the president smiling in consequence of strong suspicions of false play count lamont was driven out of his regiment and as the young pair had in the meantime consumed the stolen wedding money they must discover some new way of making a living the young husband repaired to the south of france to continue his card-playing the young wife having for her fortune her youth and the splendour of her name repaired to paris both resolved to do courrier le fortron wherever and however they could this madame continued the president after a pause this is the true answer to my question how you are called and who you are the answer is however not yet quite satisfactory replied lamont in an impudent tone you have forgotten to add that i am the friend of the cardinal prince le Rohan, the confidant and friend of queen marie antoinette and that both now want me to do the honour to make me their bete du souffrance and to let me suffer for what they have done and are guilty of my whole crime lies in this that i helped the queen of france gain the jewels for which her idle and trivial soul longed that i helped the amorous and light-minded cardinal approach the object of his love and procured for him an interview with the queen 
that is all that can be charged upon me i procured for the queen the fine necklace of messieurs bonmere and bassinage i gave the cardinal as the price of a part of the necklace a tender tete-a-tete with the queen the cardinal will not deny that in the garden of versailles he had a rendezvous with the queen that he kissed her hand and received a rose from her and the queen will be compelled to confess in the end that the necklace is in her possession what blame can be laid on me for this the blame of deception of defalcation of forgery of calumny of theft replied the president with solemn earnestness you deceive cardinal de rohan in saying that you knew the queen that you were intimate with her that she honored you with her confidence you forged or got someone to forge the handwriting of the queen and prepared letters which you gave to the cardinal pretending that they came from the queen you misused the devotion of the cardinal to the royal family and caused his eminence to believe that the queen desired his services in the purchase of the necklace and after the cardinal full of pleasure had been able to do a service to the queen had treated with bohemir and bassinage had paid a part of the purchase money and gave you the necklace in charge to be put into the queen's hands you were guilty of theft for the queen knows nothing of the necklace the queen never gave you the honor of an audience the queen never spoke with you and no one of the queen's companions ever saw the countess lamont that means they disown me they all disown me cried the countess with flaming rage stamping upon the floor with her little satin-covered foot but the truth will one day come to light the cardinal will not deny that the queen gave him a rendezvous at versailles that she thanked him personally for the necklace which she had procured through his instrumentality yes the truth will come to light answered the president i summon the crown attorney monsieur de bourron to present the charge against the countess lamont volet on this the attorney-general bourdon rose and amid the breathless silence of the assembly began to speak he painted the countess as a crafty skilful adventuress who had come to paris with a determined purpose of making her fortune in whatever way it could be done he then spoke of the destitution in which she had lived at first of the begging letters which she addressed to all people of distinction and especially to cardinal de rohan in consequence of his well-known liberality he painted in lively and touching colors the scene where the cardinal struck by the name of the suppliant went in person to the attic to convince himself whether it were really true that a descendant of the kings of france had been driven to such poverty and humiliation and to give her assistance for the sake of the royal house to which he was devoted heart and soul he painted further how the cardinal attracted by the lively spirits amiability and intellectual character of lamont volet had given her his confidence and believed what she told him about her favor with the queen and her intimate relations with her the cardinal continued the attorney-general did not doubt for a moment the trustworthiness of the countess he had not the least suspicion that he was appointed to become the victim of an intriguer who would take advantage of his noble spirit his magnanimity to deceive him and to enrich herself the countess knew the boundless devotion of the cardinal to the queen she had heard his complaints of the proud coldness the public slights which she offered to him on the other hand she had heard of the costly diamond necklace which beaumere and bassinage had repeatedly offered to the queen and that she had refused to take it on account of the enormous price which they demanded for it on this the countess formed her plan and it succeeded perfectly 
she caused the cardinal to hope that he would soon have an audience of the queen if he would give solid assurances of his devotion and when he professed himself ready she proposed to him as acting under the queen's instructions the purchase of the necklace the cardinal declared himself ready to accede and the affair took the course already indicated with such touching frankness and lofty truthfulness by his eminence he brought the purchase to a conclusion he paid the first installment of six hundred thousand francs and gave the necklace to the friend of the queen the countess le montvolet after he had availed himself of her assistance in receiving from the lips and hand of the queen in the garden of versailles the assurance of the royal favor the countess at once brought the cardinal a paper from the queen stating that she had received the necklace and conveying to him the warm thanks of his queen the cardinal felt himself richly rewarded by this for all his pains and outlays and in the joy of his heart wanted to repay her who in so prudent and wise a manner had effected his reconciliation with the queen he settled upon her a yearly pension of four thousand francs payable her whole life and the countess accepted it with tears of emotion and swore eternal gratitude to the cardinal but while uttering this very oath she was conspiring against her benefactor and laughing in her sleeve at the credulous prince who had fallen into the very net which she had prepared for him her most active ally was her husband whom she had long before summoned to paris and who was the abettor of her intrigue the countess had now become a rich lady and was able to indulge all her cravings for splendor and luxury she who down to that time had stood as a supplicant before the doors of the rich could herself have a princely dwelling and could devote great sums to its adornment the most celebrated makers were called on to furnish the furniture and the decorations and as if by a touch of magic she was surrounded by fabulous luxury the fairest equipages stood ready for her the finest horses in her stable and a troop of lackeys waited upon the beck of the fair lady who displayed her princely splendor before them a choice silver service glittered upon her table and she possessed valuables worth more than a hundred thousand francs more than this she enjoyed the best of all a tender and devoted husband who overloaded her with presents from london whither he was called by pressing family affairs he sent his wife a medallion of diamonds which was subsequently estimated at two hundred and thirty louis and a pearl bracelet worth two hundred louis returning from his journey he surprised his wife with a new and splendid present he had purchased a palace in barsoul and thither the whole costly furniture of his hired house was carried would you know where all these rare gifts were drawn the countess lamont had broken the necklace and taken the stones from their setting for the gold alone which was used in the setting she received forty thousand francs for one of the diamonds which she sold in paris she received fifty thousand francs for another thirty six thousand the diamonds of uncommon size and immense worth she did not dare to dispose of in paris and her husband was compelled to journey to london to sell a portion of them there on his return thence he was able to buy for his wife the house in barcelona for the sum received in london was four hundred thousand francs in gold in addition to the pearls and the diamond medallion which he brought his wife from london and of all this luxury this extravagance cardinal de rohan had naturally no suspicion when he visited her where did the countess receive him in a poorly furnished attic chamber of the house hired by her in simple modest attire 
she met him there and told him with trembling voice that the rich countess who lived in the two lower stories of the house had allowed her to have this suite next to the roof gratis but when danger approached and lamont began to fear that beaumere and bassinage in claiming their pay from the queen would bring the history of the necklace to the light the countess came to the cardinal to pay her parting respects as she was going into the country to a friend to live in the greatest privacy she left Perry merely to repair to Bosserolbe and live in her magnificent palace. She tarried there so long as to allow the police detectives to discover in the rich and elegant lady the intriguer Le Montvolet, and to effect the imprisonment of her husband and his friend, the so-called Count Cogliostro. Her other abettors had put themselves out of sight and were not to be discovered. However, their arrest was not specially necessary for the facts were already sufficiently strong and clear. Some of the diamonds which Lamont had sold in London were brought back to Paris, and had been recognized by Beaumere and Bassinage as belonging to the necklace which they had sold to the Queen. The goldsmith had been discovered to whom the Countess had sold the golden setting of the necklace, and Beaumere and Bassinage had recognized in the fragments which remained their own work. It is unquestionable that the Countess Le Montvolet, through her intrigues and cunning, had been able to gain a possession of the necklace, and that she had appropriated it to her own use. The countess is therefore guilty of theft and deception. She is, moreover, guilty of forgery, for she has intimated the handwriting of the queen, and subscribed it with the royal name. But the hand is neither that of the queen, nor does the queen ever subscribe herself Marie Antoinette of France this makes lamont open to the charge of both forgery and contempt of majesty for she has even dared to drag the sacred person of the queen of france into her mesh of lies and to make her majesty the heroine of a dishonourable love adventure my lord cried countess lamont with a loud laugh you are not driven to the necessity of involving the queen in dishonourable love adventures the queen is in reality the heroine of so many adventures of this character that you can have your choice of them a queen who visits the opera house balls incognito drives thither masked and in a farce and who appears incognito on the terraces of versailles with strange soldiers exchanging jocose words with them a queen of the type of this austrian may not wonder to find her name identified with the heroine of a love adventure but we are speaking now not of a romance but of a reality and i am not to be accused of forgery and contempt of majesty without having the proofs brought forward this cannot however be done for i have the proofs of my innocence the cardinal had an interview with the queen and she gave him a receipt for the diamonds if she wrote her signature differently from her usual manner it is not my fault it only shows that the queen was cunning enough to secure an alibi so to speak for her signature and to leave a rear door open for herself through which she could slip with her exalted name in case the affair was discovered and leave me to be her bateau de son front but i am by no means disposed to accept this part for i declare here solemnly before god and man that i am innocent of the crime laid to my charge i was only a too true and devoted friend that is all i sacrificed my own safety and peace to the welfare of my exalted friends and i now complain of them that they have treated me unthankfully in this matter but they must bear the blame they alone let the queen show that she did not give the cardinal a rendezvous in the park of versailles 
let her further show that she did not sign the promissory note and the letters to his eminence and then i shall be exposed to the charge of being a deceiver and a traitor but so long as this is not done and it cannot be done for god is just and will not permit the innocent to suffer for the guilty so long will all france yes all europe be convinced that the queen is the guilty one that she received the jewels and paid the cardinal for them as a coquette and light-minded woman does with tender words with smiles and loving looks and last of all with a rendezvous you are right said the attorney-general as the countess ceased and looked around her with a victorious smile you are quite right god is just and he will not permit the innocent to suffer for the guilty he will not let your infernal intrigue stand as truth he will tear away the mask of innocence from your deceiver's face and let you stand forth in all your impudence and deception my lord cried the countess smiling those are very high-sounding words but there are no proofs we will now give the proofs answered the attorney-general turning to one of the guards let the lady enter who is waiting in the room outside the officer gave a sign to one of the men who stood near the door leading to the witness-room he entered the adjoining apartment but soon after returned alone and whispered something in the officer's ear the lady asked the court's indulgence for a few moments said the officer aloud as she must be separated some hours from her child she asked permission to suckle it a few moments the president cast an inquiry look at the judges who all nodded affirmatively the law was silent before the voice of nature all waited noiselessly till the witness had quieted her child and now the door of the witness-room opened and upon the threshold was seen a woman's figure at whose unexpected appearance a cry of amazement rose from the lips of all the spectators on the tribune and all eyes were aflame with curiosity it was the queen no one but the queen who was entering the hall it was her slim fine figure it was her fresh voting rosy countenance with the fair charming oval of her delicately tinted cheeks it was her finely cut mouth with the full lower lips there were her large grayish-blue eyes her high forehead her beautiful chestnut-brown hair arranged in exactly the manner that lunard the queen's hairdresser was accustomed to dress hers the rest of her toilette also was precisely like that of the queen when she appeared in the gardens of versailles and dispensed with court etiquette a bright dress of light linen flowed down in long broad folds over her beautiful figure her chest and the full shoulders were covered by a short white robe au front, and on the lofty dressed hair lay a white cap trimmed with lace yes it was the queen as she had often been seen wandering up and down in the broad walks of versailles and even the ladies on the tribune who often enough had seen the monarch close at hand and had spoken with her looked in astonishment at the entering figure and whispered it is she the queen herself is coming to give her evidence what folly what thoughtlessness while all eyes were directed upon this unexpected figure no one had thought of the countess le montvolet no one had noticed how she shrank back and then started from her seat as if she wanted to fly from the horror which so suddenly confronted her no the officer who stood near her chair had noticed this movement and with a quick and strong grasp seized her arm what do you want madame why do you rise from your chair after being told to sit still if you do not want to be chained 
at the touch of the officer lamont had as it appeared regained her whole composure and had conquered her alarm i rose she said calmly to pay my respects to the queen of france like a good subject but as i see that no one else stands up and that they allow the queen to enter without rising from their seats i will take mine again and the countess slowly sank into her chair come near cried president dolorance to the royal personage and she stepped forward allowing her eyes to wander unconstrainedly through the hall and then as she approached the table behind which the president and the judges sat greeting them with a friendly nod and smile which caused her lips to part again there passed through the hall a wave of amazement for now when the lady opened her mouth the first dissimilarity to the queen appeared behind her cherry red lips there were two rows of poor broken teeth with gaps between them whereas marie antoinette had on account of her faultless teeth been the object of admiration and envy to all the ladies of her court who are you madame and what are you called asked the president who am i sir replied the lady with a slight flush good lord that is hard to answer i was a light-minded and idle girl that did not like to work but did like to live well and had no objection to dress and led a tolerably easy life till one day my heart was surprised by love after being enamoured of my sergeant george i resolved to lead an honourable and virtuous life and since my little son was born i have tried to be merely a good mother and a good wife do you now want to know what i am called down to the present time i am called mademoiselle olivier you had me arrested in brussels and brought here exactly nine days before the appointed time of my marriage with my dear george he had promised me that our child should be able to regard us as regularly married people and he wanted to keep his promise but you prevented him and it is your fault that my dear little boy was born in prison and that his father was not there to greet him but you will confess that i am guilty of no crime and then you will fulfil my wish and give me a written certificate of my innocence that is she corrected herself blushing of my innocence in this matter that i may be able to justify myself to my son when i have to tell him that he was born in prison it is such a dreadful thing for a mother to have anything that she is ashamed to confess to her child a murmur of applause ran through the hall and the ladies upon the tribune looked with sympathy upon this fair woman whose faithful love made her beautiful and whose mother feeling gave her dignity end of chapter six part two recording by maggie travers